and welcome to Cecil Radio, Episode 2, a chance to talk through various questions about the new accounting standard. I'm Susan Weber, a 26-year banker and first-wave Cecil adopter, and with me today is Leah Clare. Leah, thank you so much for joining in the Cecil conversation. Before we get to the questions you've brought for us today, though, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks for having me, Susan. I'm really excited to talk about this. So I've been at Barry Dunn for seven and a half years now, and I've been in audit for my entire career here. Um, most of my work now is working with financial institutions, and I also audit employee benefit plans. So that's kind of the two areas that I work the most, and I'm very happy to be in the financial services group and really enjoy working with you. Great. Well, I'm so happy you could be with us today. And I just have to ask you one fun fact, Leah, right? So that's your professional life, but you know, we're a whole we're whole people here. So tell tell us a fun fact about you. So being an auditor is actually my second career. I came to Barry Dunn after I had a, a early career in recreation and leisure services with a focus on outdoor education, which meant that most of the time I was just spending um, my free time and my professional time uh, doing canoeing and hiking and hanging out with kids because I was working in leadership programs. And I like to bring that outdoor education and passion for learning to the work I have now because we obviously have continuous development. So kind of ties in together. That's amazing. I'm so happy to know that. And it sounds like we're entering the perfect season for you to be outside recreating. Yes, have already started. <laughs> great That's weather. great. That's awesome. Um, so I do want to ask you what questions you have for us today, but I do think I need to just make a lot of people we work with happy first if I state that the views and opinions shared today are completely our own. Okay, Leah. So as you've been working with clients, what are you hearing? What's top of mind for them related to Cecil? What do you want to talk about today? I think one of the main themes that I've been hearing is just the burning question about how much information are we retaining? What are we pulling together for each of the steps along the Cecil train and how we head toward the um, implementation? What does it all need to look like each day as they make new decisions? And because this is a new standard and so much is changing, where do they even start? So what do we even mean by documentation as it pertains to Cecil? Wow, that is a really great question and definitely one that I think people should be pay paying attention to now. When it comes to Cecil, I think there's really two big areas of focus. The first one would be telling the story of your Cecil implementation and the second would be documenting your model and methodology. Okay, uh, so do you have any good tips for people as they're thinking about this and as they start their Cecil implementation? Um, what do you mean by implementation? Well, that's a really good question. So documenting your implementation is, um, well, I kind of think of it like this. Say you woke up in a new town one day and you had to find your way from your current location to the grocery store. And if you were directionally challenged like me, you are very happy to have GPS apps available. So you put the address into your favorite GPS app and suddenly the roadmap appears before you. So I think of Cecil implementation as that journey that you're getting ready to take. And your start point is uh, from zero, right? What, you know, what right. you learned about the standard and the choices that you're making. And day one adoption is your grocery store, right? So documenting your journey is you want to include you know, that roadmap for yourself, how you got from start to adoption, including any barriers or obstacles you encountered and overcame and how you did that. So this is really important 
especially because the standard is new and there are lots of new components and banks have been given a lot of leeway to make choices along that way. So people really need to capture and describe that trip, that journey, right? Not just the decisions, but the rationale, why you're doing it, what you're doing, how you're doing it, who's involved. That's an excellent analogy. Very interesting and it makes a lot of sense. Okay, so what about the second part of documentation? Okay, so the second part of documentation, that to me is really about your specific methodology itself, right? The model or models that you've chosen, how they work and how you're going to operate, validate, manage and govern it going forward. Okay, so picking up on something you said earlier about who's involved, let's talk for a minute about vendors because I've heard a lot of people Mm -hmm. who might be using a third-party vendor to assist with designing their CECL model, or they might be using a software created by an outside developer. And I guess the question I'm hearing is about the SOC reports, the SOC 1 reports. If a vendor has a SOC report, aren't the things that we're talking about here, like model design, theory, logic, and all the development stuff that pertains covered by the SOC report, what would be left for the bank to consider, or what's their responsibility there? Mm, Okay, really good one. So uh, would it surprise you if I answered a little bit yes and no? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's it's really great that a vendor has a SOC 1. In my personal opinion, my personal opinion, my personal preference, this is my personal bias. um, I just feel like something like Cecil, um, if you're going to use a vendor, if it were me, I would really want to see a SOC 1. I'd want to know they had a SOC 1. Um, because there are some key assurances that it gives you. And also uh, it highlights some of your responsibilities as the user of their software, their model, their method um, that you would need and want to address. And so I think it really just brings a lot of those things to the fore if you know how to review and read them. Okay, so what's the no part of the yes and no? Oh, yes. Okay, right. So I said there was a yes and a no. So the no part, um, for me, what I meant by that is even with Cecil, right, even in hiring, you know, you know, maybe an expert or somebody with a stronger skill set on the modeling creation or, or just because you're running out of time and you need that expertise on your side. So even with Cecil, banks cannot outsource their choices under the standard to a vendor. So um, banks are going to need to be thinking about this for documentation purposes. They need to understand and document not only how and why they chose the vendor they did, right? Like what skills do the vendor, you know, what what skills does the vendor have that you're using to sort of supplant for your own, but also understand and document the vendor's development choices, right? Because they're making decisions about how their system and their software is working. And some of those things are elections that they've made on your behalf. And so you need to understand how that works, how that's working with your information. And you may be able to leverage uh, documentation the vendor has created and is sharing with you. That's really good too, right? Nobody necessarily likes staring at a blank page. Um, But banks are going to need to demonstrate that they understand what's happening in the model and how they got comfortable with it, right? Management's going to have to basically say how they got comfortable with it. Right. Well, I agree as an auditor. Um, understanding and being able to repeat or explain to others how you reach these decisions and also the path to get there is extremely important for us. That's the questions that we're always asking and digging Mm -hmm. into further. So we really appreciate that that's definitely at the forefront of the focus for these. 
for these institutions. Um, okay, let's stick with the vendor topic a little bit further. Is a third-party model validation required? I've heard a little discussion about that and maybe mm. a concern about that's just another thing along the CECL path that they have to accomplish before we implement. Yeah, and not only accomplish, but there's a cost involved too, right? And I've right. heard some really uh, crazy stories about some of the uh, uh, ranges of expense that this could be not just for the first time, but maybe even ongoing. So I think it's really good that you brought this up. So no, um, third-party model validation is not uh, technically required, but there are lots of reasons why it might be a really good idea, and this is why. So the guidance out there is that there needs to be an effective independent review of the model and methodology, right? CECL is um, probably going to be considered by most uh, involved in this uh, somewhat of a complex uh, methodology or model. So to meet the independence criteria, the review and validation has to be done by people other than the ones involved in creating and running the model, right? That's that independence piece that has been reiterated time and time again under CECL. And so in some institutions, management has realized that a third-party model validation of some scope uh, would be helpful to support their independent review, right? So I think it sort of has morphed into more discussion in the space like, oh, we have to get a third-party model validation. And so I think it's just really helpful to kind of peel it back apart and say, um, it's not technically required, but there may be some really good reasons why um, somebody would still opt to do that. So, you know, Leah, I don't know if as an auditor, if there's anything else about that you you want to jump in and talk about. I think it's really helpful to have all of those perspectives um, brought up. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think I've been speaking with clients where there's still a discussion of whether they're going to be utilizing the outside vendor, um, that independent third party to help them prepare a model or utilize the software, or if they're maybe going to still look at doing something in-house. And mm. I think when we consider um, how they arrive at that decision, there's still a lot of factors that they have to be looking at, including who's responsible to make a decision of this type, whether they need to be involving their CISO committee, if, if such an organization internally exists. Um, if they're utilizing their those charged with governance, maybe there's a board or a subcommittee of the board that's involved with this. There's a lot of factors, including cost, the skills and the knowledge and experience of your team members, and just knowing that at either the point of utilizing a vendor or developing internally, um, the time outlay is still going to be pretty intensive and that mm -hmm. utilizing everybody's time and what it looks like going forward is going to be really important to kind of set up that path that you were talking about of how their documentation really needs to start at day one as they begin this implementation um, implementation path to yeah, I think that's really important, you know, I mean, not to cut you off there, Leah, but I think that's really important. Like, I, you know, I think it, you know, I've, I've said this before that documentation is like exercise. We know we should do it along the way, um, but we don't always, you know, exercise that muscle every day. Um, but I do think that there's a great advantage to people taking a few minutes, um, carving out that time, you know, maybe that deep focus time and making sure that they're at least bullet pointing some of these things that we've been talking about so that they capture it as they they're moving through this process and not just waiting to the end and trying to do it uh, in arrears. It's it's just an awful lot to try to keep track of later. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think as an auditor, um, I, it is reassuring to know that there's going to be a lot of eyes on the models and, and 
regardless of which decision is made, whether it's outside vendor use of a software or internally developed, um, we're going to really appreciate all of the time and effort that's gone in as they develop these models and what we look at, uh, the result that we look at during our audit procedures. I do find um, sometimes that there can be an over-reliance on SOC reports and the controls mm. as we were talking about, you know, management understanding their responsibility. And I do think it's really important for management to understand their role in that relationship. And, and I'm interested to see how they um, build that out and build that documentation into their, what is created and included with their CECL model in the future. You know, you know that's a really good point because I, I was on a, a call the other day and somebody did make a comment, you know, hey, I've got a SOC 1, so everything is great. And I do think that's a really good point. And and I should also say I am not a SOC 1 expert. I know enough. I know enough to be conversant. Um, and that's about it. So, you know, maybe that's a podcast that we should schedule um, in the future to just dig into SOC 1s a little more. And I, I know we have some folks internally that are really, really strong in that regard. They, they do it pretty much for a living. So um, I'm going to take that note back and see if we can um, put that into a future one. Great. That's an awesome idea. So we've covered some high-level considerations and some special aspects um, as it relates to using a model developer or software. So what about these banks who decide that they want to design their own CECL model and mm -hmm. implement a specific methodology? And what kind of documentation should they be thinking about? And what requirements do you see that are different than utilizing a developer or software? Well, I guess overall what I'd say is um, all the points that we made before, the documentation requirements are really the same, right? They still need to document their CECL journey, not just the final destination, you know, not just the final choices, but what the trip was like along the way. I think I've used that analogy. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I'm going to use that analogy all day today, <laughs> yeah. um, as well as the details about, you know, all of the choices they made. But something that uh, may be especially pertinent to this group is to detail um, in-house queries, right? If they're going to rely on their own methodology, their own model, chances are good that they've got to develop some sort of query system to move the data into the model. Maybe they're using Excel. Maybe those Excel uh, workbooks have macros or formulas. So they're definitely going to have to document um, a lot of detail around those things and how they're going to protect access, right, to the queries and the workbooks, et cetera, as they, as they move along. I think that oversight is really important. I agree. I do love hearing that we want to impart that concern and focus on internal controls and recognizing that there's inherent risks in developing um, their own internal model because this is such a significant estimate and management's assumptions and the decisions that they make along the way do provide some opportunity for error because just, mm -hmm. you know, we're humans and, and there's an opportunity that something can be miskeyed in Excel or um, maybe something's not protected and there's logical access protections or physical access protections that need to be considered. All the things that would go into a SOC 1 report provided by a vendor. I really appreciate that focus and I think that um, we are here as auditors to have conversations with our clients and, and individuals who are interested in having conversations to discuss what that means as far as it pertains to CECL and how we can assist people recognize where risks are. Yeah, and it, it's a really big one for Cecil. You know, I think just because there's so many new components, there may be new people in your organizations that are going right. to be part of it. And so there may be people that have just not um, been exposed to quite as much, you know, on the same uh, level of control and, and governance. And so, um, you know, it, it's probably a good time just to let people know that our 
episode four in the podcast series uh, is where I'm going to have uh, Kaylin Landry join us, and she's really um, strong on the governance and control side. So with all of the work she's done with Fidesha. So I'm going to, um, I think probably that'll be a good time to maybe build that out a little bit more in that conversation. Yeah, I agree. That will be an excellent point and definitely extend some of those uh, internal controls that we already consider under Fidesha that uh, apply here. Yeah. So we've covered a lot of ground. Mm -hmm. And to wrap up, what resources are out there for people on this model documentation topic? Oh, that's a good one. So the great news for this final wave of adopters is that there is so much more information out there um, for you than there ever was in wave one. Right. Um, whether or not you have time to go through it all is another <laughs> story, right? I feel like we're all kind of at that saturation point. So there are really two that I like to highlight that I think are really important for people to be familiar with. And I like them because they cover both auditor and regulator expectations. So the first one is the interagency supervisory guidance on model risk management. If you go out and you query it, um, interagency supervisory guidance on model risk management, this reveals what your regulator is going to expect. There's an entire section devoted to model documentation for example. Um, the second resource is the AICPA CECL practice aid that can also help tell your CECL implementation story and really focuses a lot on um, all of those kinds of open-ended questions that your auditors could be asking you to describe that CECL journey and that they're going to want to get comfortable with when it comes to sort of that day one number, right? Because your CECL journey really comes down to your day one entry. <laughs> so that day one entry is auditable. I don't want to go too far down that road. I'm not a CPA, but that is auditable. And I think um, knowing the kinds of questions and things that they're going to have to get comfortable with auditing that day one number is really in your best interest. So that AICPA CECL practice aid is definitely one. Um, we also have a series of quick articles, uh, one on documentation that references these guides and also gives you access to our free documentation checklist. So um, all a listener would have to do is go to barrydun.com and that's B-E-R-R-Y-D-U-N-N.com slash CECL to access the resources. Awesome. Susan, I have heard you say in the other podcasts that listeners can use our Ask the Advisor feature on our website to post questions that they would like us to address. Oh, absolutely. Right. I'm glad you reminded me that. So the link to that feature is going to be in the podcast description. Awesome. That's great. a great resource. Well, Leah, thank you so much for joining me today. So before you go, are you up for some rapid fire questions? Sure. Okay. You ready? Yes. Three of your favorite activities. I like, most of all, I probably like hiking and cooking and reading. Awesome. So knowing that you like to read, what's something you're reading now? Most of what I'm reading now is parenting books, and I can't usually <laughs> spend time reading a full book, so I read a lot of blogs about parenting. I have two That's young awesome. kids, so. Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> Um, I would love to tell you it gets easier with teenagers, which would I have now, but, um, you know, but we'll save those blog posts for another time. I've heard that uh, it's different. <laughs> it's different. It's all good. <laughs> right. Um, so I also know that you enjoy traveling. So where are you headed next? So I think our next big trip that we're planning for next summer is going to be um, Wyoming or Montana. Wow. We're kind of on a national parks kick, so we're trying to decide. A couple years ago, we did California pre-COVID, so now we're trying to do some of the other out west areas, so... Ooh, well, I definitely, 
I am definitely going to have to uh, stow away on that vacation. <laughs> we'll, talk about lovely. we'll talk about it later. All right. Well, thanks again, Leah, for joining us and everyone out there. Tune in next time when I'll be joined by David Stone to talk about some aspects of Cecil people may have forgotten about. Mm-hmm.